Amen. Our reading from God's Holy Word comes from the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 and extending to verse 3. Please give attention to the reading of God's Holy Word. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Father in heaven, as we take our seats here in your presence together, and in this moment, attentive as we come to your word, bleared and smeared as many of us feel with work and labor, souls wearied and torn, we need your help in this moment uh, to come even as we sit and for that sitting in your presence to be of a spiritual kind, that we lean back into your arms and in this moment of hearing the promises of your word, we begin to experience the rest that you intend for us. Lord, we pray in your wisdom and in your grace right now that you would be mindful of the various needs of each and every soul in this room, for the burdens that they carry, for the weariness that they feel. Would you in this moment come and relieve us through the power of the gospel and pulse within us the energy that comes from its power, mediated through the Holy Spirit. Send him to accomplish your good and perfect purposes. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder as we were singing those beautiful words a moment ago, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. If you could sing those words with integrity, with honesty before the Lord. Or, or did you sing them more as a petition? Something you hope or wish or desire would happen? Uh, no matter what the case, whether it was uh, a truthful singing or an aspirational singing, I pray that the Lord would meet you in the midst of those words and even now in the midst of these words from Genesis chapter 2. And that the rest that we see God enjoy in this passage becomes the rest that we enjoy as we sit in this passage. It's a rich passage. 
It's an unusual passage. For those of you who've been with us in our study of Genesis so far, as we've moved our way through the first six days of creation, you will notice right away that this day is different. You'll notice that there is no and God said, as there had been in all of the six previous days. You'll notice that there is no evening or morning the seventh day. As this, there has been in all of those previous passages. You'll notice that the seventh day is described as a day that is blessed. It's the only day that is described as blessed. We're told that the seventh day has been made holy. A word that means set apart. And you'll notice that it's the only day in the seven days of creation that is described as holy. Many uniquenesses jump off the page as we work our way from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2. As we come to this day and we realize that it's both revealed and presented to us differently because this day is different from all of the others. We've gotten used to thinking of the weekend of thinking in terms of five and two. But the biblical pattern is one of six and one. And the singularity of the Sabbath day, its presence in creation and its establishment and reality in the world in which we live sets it apart, blessed and holy, utterly unique from every other day of creation and of every other day that we walk and live in creation. And so as we look at Genesis 2, 1 to 3 in the seventh day of creation, we want to consider some of the uniquenesses of the way in which this day is revealed. And we want to ask the Lord to come and reveal to us why those uniquenesses are there, what it is he's seeking to communicate, and then to ask him to give to us the blessedness of this day. The set-apartness of this day. What was his design in resting on this seventh day? And what impact should that have upon the hearts of us, weary, worn, and sad? As the hymn writer writes, we may be this morning as we come before this passage. I want to look with you at the creation of rest. And I want to look with you at the command to rest. And I want to look with you at the redemption of rest. I want you to see all three of those things. And along the way, I want, I pray, for us to learn a few things about the practice of rest. What does it really mean to be and to live in the rest of God? I want to start with the creation of rest, and that may seem like an unusual way to put it, but I want you to see if there's an unusual grammatical form that is given to us that could lead us to two different conclusions about what it is that God is doing here in the seventh day, this day of rest. I want you to look with me at verses 1 and 2 of the text that's before us. Notice the grammar and notice the tense of the way in which this day is described. Verse 1, The heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. 
It's quite clear that Moses in his writing of this creation narrative has come to this day and is setting it apart uniquely because he gives to us a summary statement of what has come before. In the six days of creation, the the God of heaven and earth has created this heaven and earth. He's finished this work and every, every bit that's in them, all the host of them, Some of you will remember a few weeks ago we talked about the forming of the first three days and the filling of the last three days. Well, you can almost hear that language here in 2.1, that God created the heavens and the earth. He formed all of those spheres and all the hosts of them, the things that are in them. And it's a summary statement of all that he's accomplished here in the first six days. And notice that sense of completeness. He's finished the work of creation. But then notice verse 2, because things seem to shift a little bit. Then God finished his work on the seventh day, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Well, that's different. Uh, Verse 1 tells us that he has created the heavens and the earth, and they were finished, And all of the host of them, but then verse 2 says, then on the seventh day, he finished his work. It gives us a different tense and a different sense for what it is that God is doing. One is saying it's something that's complete, that's been done in the past. The other is, on this seventh day, he's actually finishing it. One is that he's already done it, and so he rests. The other is, no, he's actually finishing what he's already begun in those six days. And so the the reader is left with confusion. How are we to understand this passage? Did he do something on the Sabbath day, on the seventh day? Or did he not do something on the seventh day? Did he create something? Did he not create something? It seems as if Moses is speaking out of both sides of his mouth when he says that he's finished heaven and earth and then in the seventh day he finishes his work. When you begin to get underneath the particular grammar of this passage and the teaching of these two verses and how it's treated throughout the Old Testament, you begin to realize this, that God did something on the seventh day and he, in a very real sense, created something or maybe better stated, he established something on the seventh day, through that which he did. And that which he did was rest. Now I paused and I said it specifically for a reason. When you and I think of rest, we don't usually think of doing something. Is it fair to say that when we think of rest, we think of not doing something? We, we, we refer to it in places like unplugged, I want to get out of here, leave, escape, inactivity. These are the ways in which we tend to think of rest. But in the context of Genesis chapter 2, we're seeing that the way in which God rests is actually something God does. It's an engagement with or a moving towards something that brings about the reality of rest. And he's teaching us about biblical rest in this. That in one sense, he finished his work. 
And in another sense, on the seventh day, he's finishing his work. How is he finishing it? By rest. Do you see, rest is being placed within the created order as a reality that is created within the world that we live. It's not this lack of something. It's this fullness of something. We might even argue that this day, day seven, uh, more than what have many have argued throughout history, is the capstone of creation. It's where everything has been moving. Uh, many of us think because of the sixth day of creation that we were created on the sixth day, male and female, that humankind were created on the sixth day, that that was the highest form of creation that there could be. And many of us have taken some sense of pride and joy in the fact that we are numbered among that humankind. But there is a misnomer to think that God finished creation on the sixth day with his crowning joy... Man and all of creation is moving to man. Now what we find in the created order when we come to day seven is that all of creation is moving to God and his resting, his completing, his finishing. That everything of which he has made, now he looks at and he sees and its glory, its purposefulness, its image bearing, its reflection of its character, its work of art. And God, as he looks upon it and he sees its finished nature, rests. And in doing, establishes for us the fact that creation doesn't end with us, but it ends with him. It ends with what he has made. And in the restfulness of what it is that he has accomplished. You see, that's really the spirit of this text. Two words, I think, describe the kind of rest that is envisioned here in Genesis 2, 1 through 3. And I think Derek Kidner, wonderful Old Testament scholar, one of the best in our time period, speaks of Genesis chapter 2 and these few verses as the rest of achievement. Not of inactivity. Well, we know this is true. Let's just think first about the character and the nature of God. Is there ever a time where God is not active? Class? No. Did God rest because he was tired? No. God is omnipotent. Which means that any exertion of his energy over any extended period of time has no bearing or loss of any energy at all upon him. So we have to take into consideration, then why did he rest? What's he up to in the midst of this resting? He's enjoying the moment of finished. The crowning achievement of what it is that he has done. You know this kind of rest all too well. The moment when you finish that test... In high school or in college, the final test, and you know that you just knocked it out of the park, and you turned that paper in, and you walked out that door, and thus was the beginning of summer break. 
You know that feeling? Rest. You know what it's like? I've been thinking about the summer a lot because it's too cold around here. You know what it's like in the summer to mow your grass? And it's just just perfect. And it's only like that way for like a few hours, you know. You, you mow your grass, you finish it, you've done, you're sweaty, you look out on it, the sun's going down, and you just... <sighs> I saw my sweet wife last night folding laundry. And I could tell there's laundry on her bed. And she could tell I was gearing up for bed. And she just kept folding the laundry, you know. I could tell she needed to get the last piece of laundry folded before she could rest. Because if she had just left it, it would have, right, nagged at her. It would have felt undone. She, she wanted that sense of rest that comes when you've finished something. And you know the, the enjoyment of that thing. Do You see, this idea of achievement and enjoyment are tied together in this sense of rest. Kent Hughes in his commentary on the book of Genesis says this. He says, God's rest was one of deep pleasure and satisfaction at the fruit of his labor. You know that, that wonderful feeling of what it's like to achieve or to get to that benchmark or to have something completed and to know that a job has been well done. It's in that very real sense that God himself is taking delight in the goodness of what it is that he has created. And in so doing is showing us the very nature of the deep kind of rest that is truly restorative, that's rehabilitative, that replenishes the strength that has been sapped through all of the work that we've done. We, we know how to rest poorly. Now, you've rested poorly. You know what this is like. You know you're so tired so you're just going to veg out in front of the television for several hours. And you get up from that couch feeling so rested, so energized, so replenished, right? <laughs> oh, of course. You feel worse. You got a lot of rest, but you didn't get rest. Yeah, you know what it's like to feel like you need a vacation from your vacation. Because on your vacation, you didn't rest. But you went to the beach and you laid there and you, you did stuff, but... You missed, as it were, the spiritual reality, the dimension of that kind of soul rest that does not happen with getting an extra hour of sleep or taking a vacation to a tropical place. It's the kind of rest that comes with knowing the finishedness and the enjoyment of something that is well done and complete so that you can cease Sabbath is what it means. And you can sit into the enjoyment and the restoration of that moment. Tim Suttle was writing about the kind of Hebraic rest that we see patterned in a variety of ways in the Scripture and in the ancient Near Eastern uh, tradition coming through the people of Israel. And, and to give us a vision for kind of what it's like, he said it was, it was like the moment when you have a great meal. Let's say you, you grew uh, the food for that meal. You, you, you slaughtered that cow for those steaks. And, 
You cooked it and it was wonderful. And all your friends and family came over. It was an amazing meal. And you, you finished the meal. And all of you there together have now eaten and been satisfied. And you're talking and you're laughing and you're enjoying the moment. Nobody has to go anywhere right away. Nobody's worrying about washing the dishes. You're just lost in the moment of the enjoyment and the satisfaction of the good thing that has happened in the finishedness of this moment. And you sit in that rest. That's what we're talking about. Now, for some of us, you know what we do? Because we're so, so broken and we worry so much. Is in that moment we go, oh, this is so great. I, I want it, I, it. I hate for it to end. Or to lose it. And of course, the moment you said that, you killed it. Because you started looking around at the dishes. And you, that's going to take forever. And, you know, I've got so much. Is that, is that a baby crying? Is that, you know, and then you're off, right? Fits and spurts, snatches that come and go with regards to that rest. With This moment in the Sabbath day is intended for, as the Puritans described it, as a day of rest and gladness. In what the text is teaching us with the fact that God finished creation on the sixth day and was finishing it on the seventh day is teaching us a very, very deep principle. He's teaching us that nothing is truly finished until we rest in it. Till we rest in it. Till we take in the accomplishment. Take in the enjoyment of that thing. We take it in to that sense of Sabbath rest. I, I don't know about you, but my tendency is to just go from one thing to the next with ne'er a pause. This text is actually saying that one of the things that we do as we pray without ceasing, as we walk with Christ in the gospel day by day, is we're looking for all the little finishes and we're pausing and we're thanking God for them. We're acknowledging that he gave the strength to accomplish it. He's covering that which is still undone. It's this, it's this finding in relationship with God a restfulness over everything that begins to take place in our life as, as it unfolds. I had a professor friend who I saw him do this so faithfully. He would, At the end of the day, he would review his calendar as to what happened and what accomplished. He'd just pray and thank the Lord. He'd rejoice in, in a story that happened or in a, in a conversation that took place or in a, in, a, in a way in which God revealed his redemption or in a beautiful moment where he took in creation or whatever it was. He went back and he remembered the Sabbath. You see, the language of remember when it comes to Exodus chapter 20 is to draw us into the meaningfulness of all that's happened. You know those moments, parents, some of you who pause and you really stop long enough to really see your child and take in the fact that they're yours and they're a gift and that they're beautiful and that they're made in the image of God and, and the fact of the matter that they stole the toy from their brother or sister and spilled the applesauce all over the kitchen is completely lost on you, but you just in the moment see the truth of the matter. Rest. You know that experience? It's a, it's a moment of actually seeing what's there and taking into it. And I believe that's why God 
has given it this process, this practice of rest, as such a high quality to what a Christian life is supposed to be. I, I want to, you know, we've seen rest is created, but look at it. rest is commanded. I mean, isn't it remarkable? I've just mentioned Exodus chapter 20. Where God says to us, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And he says this, because God worked six days of the week and then on the seventh day he, he rested. I want you to imitate him, people of Israel. This is Moses writing Genesis chapter 1. He's getting the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai for the people of Israel and, and reflecting back upon the creation narrative of Genesis 1 and 2. And he says, I want you to see that, that you live this way because God patterned this. He built this pattern into the way in which a healthy life before his face is meant to be lived. And I want you to know it's so critical that I'm going to command you to do it. Now, many of us have not paused long enough to see how shocking this is. That in Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, the moral law that summarizes God's call upon our life. He says, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and also rest. What? Like you put murder, adultery, and resting. Like together. As like one of your lead commands. I dare say many of us think much about Sabbath keeping along the lines of the severity of murder. And yet contextually in Exodus chapter 20, God has placed the reality of, of resting in the means of a commandment as right alongside those realities. That it's built into the very fabric of the moral character of what it means to live upright before our God as he has called us to do. Now as soon as I mentioned command, some of you immediately thought, right? He's going to talk about what I can do or not do on the Sabbath day. Is he going to tell me I cannot eat out on the Sabbath day? Is he going to say I cannot go to the Titans game on Sunday? Or watch it on television. Or watch TV. Can I watch TV on Sunday? Important questions. They really are. They, they require discernment. They require wisdom. They require the discussion we've just had about what is the kind of rest that is being described here in the passage. We live uh, in a time that's work, 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 work. And then a lot of time rest is entertainment. Rest is escape. Rest is do what I want to do. It's not exactly what is in view here in Genesis chapter 2. And sometimes we've collapsed Sabbath into other forms of rest that aren't consistent with the nature of the kind of rest that God is calling us to. We're not necessarily saying they're sinful, but we aren't saying that they're Sabbath. They aren't the kind of replenishing, restoration that he has in view with regards to the Sabbath. Some of you are hung up, paused, concerned about that particular question. Listen, that's an important question. I've talked about it before. I've written on it before. I will do so again. I'm not going to talk about it today. The reason is because when we begin to talk about that, what, where we often go wrong, and probably what you just even felt as I introduced the subject, was we began to focus this entire discussion on you. And rest begins with God. That's what Genesis 2 is saying to us. It begins with God. It begins with thinking of Him. What did He do? Who is He? How can we be like Him? 
It's not what can I can can't do. In fact, this is what Jesus constantly dealt with with the Pharisees, didn't he? I mean, the very first disagreement he had with the Pharisees in the Gospel of Mark, you know what it was on? Sabbath keeping. His disciples had walked by and had plucked some grains and kernels of wheat and were chewing on them. And the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I can't believe it. You won't believe what I saw. Your disciples, they plucked some wheat. They were chewing it. This is unlawful on the Sabbath day. Tisk, tisk, tisk. All right, that's the spirit of Mark chapter 2. And do you remember what Jesus said? It's a wonderful, complex an enigmatic moment for Jesus. But he says, you know, there's a story about David, 1 Samuel 21, where he's really hungry, so is his army, and they go into the tabernacle, and they take the showbread, and they eat it, and they're satisfied, of which they weren't supposed to do. There you go. And that's his story. And you go, oh, oh, okay, all right. And then he ends, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Far too often we have looked at the Sabbath day as something we have to keep as if it's a work to be done rather than the Sabbath as a gift that God has given. A gift that He has given. We've been so consumed with what we want to do or don't want to do or want the excuse to be able to do. And in all things, God wants you to die to yourself and live unto Him. And He wants you to see that in his rest is really not about what you do or don't do as the primary focus. It's what he has done and what gift he has given to you. The glory of this commandment is that we don't start with you. We start with God. And he is teaching us that when we keep the Sabbath, the Sabbath keeps us. The Sabbath keeps us. Because we are walking in the pattern of the established created order and the way in which he has made things. Do you know when you walk out of accord with the ordering of God, bad things happen. And when you walk in accord with the ordering of God, flourishing, fruitfulness begins to happen. And when he calls us into the day of the Sabbath rest, he calls us into rejoicing. He calls us into hope. He calls us into abundance. Now, he knows this at a deeper level than many of us have even seen it. Because apart from even this created rest, this commanded rest, he shows us that rest is essential to what it means to be redeemed. You know, the reason we're often so weary in this world is because we're sinners. The kind of weariness that often overtakes us is not merely of a physical kind. We sometimes talk about the good tired. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you've had a long day. You've worked well. It's been good tired. You, you collapse into the bed and you just kind of let your body and all of the tension kind of melt into the mattress moment. And it's a good sense. And then you know a lot of our weariness is played conscience. Emotional burdens. Things left undone. Things transgressed. Concerns, burdens, weights that have to do with things not being as they ought to be. The weariness that we often experience then is not of physical nature, it's of a spiritual nature. The Sabbath is the moment where we come clean with that. That we unload, as it were, 
the, the burdened conscience and come before the Lord Jesus Christ as he calls us to come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, that's the spirit of redemption, and we know that that's his pattern. I mean, we saw it in the Old Testament. I want you to just think for a second, again, contextually. In Deuteronomy, we have a retelling of the law. The retelling of the law happens in Deuteronomy chapter 15. The people of Israel, you remember, didn't go into the promised land like God had called them to do, but they disobeyed, and then a whole generation was wiped out, and for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. Now a new generation has come. And in Deuteronomy 15, this generation has to hear the law just like the old generation heard the law. And here's a retelling of the law that happens. But when the law is retold in Deuteronomy 15, something different happens. Something different happens. God doesn't say it the same way in Exodus 20 as he does in Deuteronomy 15. In Exodus 20, he says, keep the Sabbath day holy, for God labored in six days and on the seventh day rest. But in Deuteronomy 15, or excuse me, Deuteronomy 5, he says this, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. And here's how he, how he unpacks it. You shall remember that you were a slave. You were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord God brought you out. From there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You see what he's doing here? He didn't go back to creation this time. He went back to the Exodus story. And he says, do you remember the day that you were so enslaved to work? Do you remember when you were a slave and you never had a Sabbath? Do you remember how burdened you were and how worn out you were and they kept beating you like a taskmaster? Do you remember when your conscience was so beat down and you, you thought no relief was ever going to happen? Do you remember that's what life was like in Egypt? That's what life was like under the rulership of Pharaoh. But I want you to know I brought you out. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. I redeemed you. And I have given to you rest, people of Israel. Now, what would have been the rest of the people of Israel? In terms of the narrative and the story of the Old Testament, what are they doing? They're moving through the wilderness to get where? The promised land. What is the promised land often reflective of? The Garden of Eden. Where was the Garden of Eden? The place where we would be at rest with God. I've promised you a place at which there will be peace. A place where we will be able to know the achievement of all redemption and to enjoy the benefits of what it means to be my people. I want you to walk in the fact that I, as your God, have given to you rest. You don't have to work seven days a week. I'm not a taskmaster like Pharaoh. I'm a God who has given you rest. This is who I am. And what God is telling the people of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 5, he's also telling to us. Because friends, right now, so many of us struggle with slavery to work. So many of us struggle with slavery to work. Our sense of callings. How we fail at the things we know that God has called us to do. And we're completely wedded to the doing of this life. We've been focused on our activities. We, we work, therefore we are. 
And our spirits are only as happy or as good as we've achieved and as we've been acknowledged or had it claimed. Many of you know even right now the experience of that. And you know what God is actually saying? He's saying whether it's Pharaoh who's got you in shackles or whether it's your heart that has wedded itself to earthly things, I have brought you out of slavery. And I am bringing you into my rest. Now what could he possibly mean by that? Well, let me tell you. You know one of the reasons that you don't rest? Is you just think your work is so important. You're just so important. Now, you wouldn't say that, but that's how we live. I've got a lot going on. Things, balls are going to drop. The world is, is too important. My role is too important. I, I don't trust God enough to give it up to Him for a whole day. I can't rest. Look at what all I've got to do. You see, Sabbath is ultimately an act of a trusting of God. Will you give up your life to him who is the one who really is the one who is working, the one who is producing, the one who will take care of your needs? This at the end of the day is really what Sabbath is all about. It's about recognizing that God is in control and he's running the world and you and I will come and go. The graves, as you've probably heard, are filled with indispensable men and women. You know, it's humbling to know, but you know, if I were, God forbid, drop dead in this moment as I'm preaching and teaching to you, someone else would do this next week. And I'd be in the presence of Jesus. I'm not indispensable. You're not indispensable. We can take a little time off. And revel in the goodness of who God is and let him control. You see, that's one of the beauties of nighttime and sleep. If the Lord has woven weariness into our lives so much so that we have to give it up to him. We have to just, the whole world goes to sleep. And he runs it. He's awake. He's taking care of things. And maybe you're thinking right now, well, listen. You you connected rest with achieving. I'm not achieving anything. You know, maybe maybe that's what you're you're thinking. Most of my life is just loose threads. They're undone. Nothing gets done. You know, here's where the gospel helps us so much. There's always work, and there always will be. There always will be. When you go to bed tonight, there'll be stuff that didn't get done today, and that will be true for the rest of your life. Okay, knowing that you won't always have that moment of rest and achievement, you know what you get the chance to do? Is when you get to the end of the day, as you might today, and think, man, this day just didn't turn out the way I wanted to. You'll be able to rest in someone else's achievement. The Lord Jesus Christ's achievement for you. Do you know where real rest comes from? It doesn't come from you getting your act together and accomplishing all the things you thought you were going to accomplish. It comes from knowing that everything that needs to be accomplished already has in Christ for you. For you. And in the moment where everything in your life is falling apart, you can rest in the achievement of the Lord Jesus Christ and you can enjoy 
the riches of that glorious gospel. Because when he says rest, he says, come to me. Don't go to the beach. Don't watch a movie. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. If you try to go find rest without Jesus, you'll wear yourself out. But with Jesus, even the hardest work you do is restful. Because at the end of the day, rest is not a matter of what you get to do. It's the heart of God in Christ for you. And when that begins to stick, you begin to understand, even as our dear sister Barbara knows right now, who I'm sure had things to do, can rest as a soul made perfect in the presence of the Lord and do so in peace, knowing that He has done it all on her behalf. And do you know what? That same truth and reality is just as real for you as it is for her, though she may be experiencing it far more fully than you. But we're all headed there. And that's breaking in now through the power of the gospel in Christ Jesus for you. Scholars have wrestled over why the seventh day, the Sabbath day in the Old Testament, you see the New Testament church post-Pentecost and the resurrection move to the first day of the week. They start worshiping on the first day of the week rather than the seventh day, the last day of the week. The rhythm in the Old Testament was work unto rest. But when Jesus was raised on the first day of the week, what happened was the picture of the glory of his achievement, the finishedness that he had declared on the cross became so overwhelmingly true and real for the New Testament church that they no longer had to wait to get to the rest. They started the week in restful presence with Almighty God. This is the first day of the week, friends. This is not the weekend. The week doesn't begin tomorrow. This is the first day of the week. And you know what God is telling you? He is telling you before you go and work this week, rest in my presence because I've already worked for you. Before you go do anything, I want you to drink in the done of what it is I've already done. And then when you walk into Monday, I want you to take Sunday with you. And take it into Tuesday. Take it into Wednesday. You don't work unto rest. You rest. And you bring the rest into your work. You bring the rest into your work. How freeing is it to know that you don't have to accomplish a blooming thing. In order to be loved more and embraced more by God. That the greatest achievement is already yours by faith. Well, when I know that, rest happens for me in my heart and my soul. And simultaneously, a desire to work from that rest begins to well up within me. And friends, that's what we're called to be as a people. Resting unto work and working unto rest to where sometimes we're not even sure which one we're doing because we are founded on the solid rock of Christ. Jesus says to you, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Father in heaven, we need that rest, and it's a spiritual gift. And so no amount of talking about it can make it happen. We, we need your grace and power of the Holy Spirit to confirm it. And so would you please take these truths right now, and would you make them sing in such a way that they cultivate and tend within our hearts a spirit of restfulness, releasing any pride, releasing any fear, and knowing that we're in your presence, accepted by virtue of what Jesus has done, and letting that work work in us unto rest so that we can know the true peace that comes from being in you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.